0: If you turn in your word to Romans chapter 15, I'm going to read the first seven verses. And I apologize in advance for the terrible title. I think I'd rather go with much obliged, but that was, that was on short notice and I'm not a title guy anyway, so you can pencil in it, much obliged. Let's stand as we read from God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, and again, I ask that you would open it to us as we, we work our way through it, and I ask, the Lord, for your help as I preach your word. That would do it with clarity, with faithfulness, and with hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So good to be back with you. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. That's appropriate to recognize. So thankful for the moms who are here as well. Um, it's been a busy time since I last saw you. I've been to Romania and France. I went over and taught uh, for a week and a half in Romania at a, uh, a camp for international students. We have a, a ministry out of our ministry. Um, that is an international uh, outreach to international students in a town in a city called Yash over in northeast Romania. And every year they do a, uh, a camp after Easter when the students have a break um, to uh get out of town and and have someone come in and teach. And so I got to go and teach on discipleship and had an amazing time. And then went to France and spent some time with the Farrelly's and slummed all over the northern part of France and delighted in good food and good wine and all the sights, it was wonderful. Um, Also finished a perspectives course. I was a facilitator with the perspectives course, perspectives on world missions, which I highly recommend if you have not taken it yet or have heard of it. I'd love to talk to you about it, but a really great sort of in-depth study of of how the the Bible talks about missions and how we should look at missions. And I I think, uh, on the one hand, I think there's some really good, solid biblical foundations that they, they emphasize there, but also they bring to it, the wisdom of people who have actually gone and served overseas, which is really helpful. If you're familiar with uh, Steve's brother's book, uh, When Helping Hurts, there, there's a lot of that kind of practical wisdom of what we think is helpful for missions, what we think works for missions, is not always beneficial. And there's some things that we need to relearn or understand about crossing different cultures. And then lastly, and we would appreciate prayer for this, are we are, we've been in the process of starting a coffee shop as a part of our business both as an outreach to uh, the town of Natchez and the surrounding area, Um, and then uh, also an opportunity for us to take students who have gone through our discipleship program and provide an apprenticeship opportunity for them to learn how to run a Christian business, develop skills um, in terms of discipling others, sharing the gospel with others and the like through business, and so we're in the final couple months of that. We hope to be going by the middle or end of June and just a lot going on. So it is good to be here and take a pause from all that. Um, I've been looking forward to this passage for a long time. There's just a lot here that intrigues me. But I wanna I wanna step back from the passage for a minute and just just think about the broader theme that's here, which is harmony. It's, if you don't have the ESV, ESV, there are going to be other words for it, but the ESV chose, chose to, to translate, translate the idea here as harmony. And what I want to ask, what do you think of when you hear that word? What comes to mind when you think of harmony? I think of music, I think of singing of a choir or a congregation, a symphony or an orchestra. I had the privilege of playing in a concert band through my elementary, through high school, and... Not just, not just the opportunity to learn music and play together, but learning all the details of how to do it, dynamics and, and different parts to play, and how that all comes together, and appreciating, maybe in hindsight, that the tyrant that we called a director or a conductor was actually very skilled in bringing this mess together. And out of it, just wonderful performances. The 1812 Overture in the Pantages Theater in Tacoma with shotgun into a barrel for the dramatic effects, Ugh. Just it never leaves you. Or think think of team sports. Think of I, I love professional soccer. I love watching English Premier League and, and seeing a well executed, well carried out play by my team Liverpool, just moving from back to front with one touches here and everybody in the proper placement and the proper finish. There's just something something beautiful about watching that all to go, come together. Or food. I don't know a master chef fans here, but it's a whole whole dimension beyond, I don't know, Olive Garden is not really a high standard, but, but, but to, to appreciate this whole world of taste and textures, um, of palates, and, and people who are skilled in bringing that all together and, and savoring that and, and learning new ways to even think about food. There's a harmony of tastes and a harmony of textures, that they're all working together in some way. And, and, and each of these, and we could go on, each of these brings together, leads to this sort of just beauty that's hard to describe, right? I mean, how do you quantify that? How do you quantify that, that taste of a well-orchestrated meal or a well-executed play or a beautiful piece of music other than saying it's beautiful? There's a joy to it that, that everyone shares in. The one who makes it as well as the one who enjoys it that, that's in view. Now, what's what's interesting here is that this is this is not actually in the original Greek, although it is a Greek word. Harmony, harmony means the concord of sounds, and concord—it's another interesting word—literally means hearts together. Concord of sounds, all this, there's, a, there's a unity there. There's a there's a a wonderful agreement, a wonderful synchronizing of things that that produces something beautiful. And most importantly, you can see this idea of harmony in the text as well as in other places where Paul wrote about the church. Thinking of Ephesians 4 where Paul says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each piece is working, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Harmony. Now Paul's writing this against the backdrop of a church that is not in harmony right now, the church in Rome. And the, the Roman church was divided in a couple of different ways. In the first couple of chapters, we see that the division is between Jew and Gentile believers. As the gospel went out, The composition of the church was changing. At first, it was primarily Jewish. But as as the gospel was being preached, more and more were coming in who were not Jewish. And that that created some tension, to say the least. Not just who are these people who don't speak our language, but but as Paul writes, there's also the sense of the Jews understanding their whole history and saying, this was for us. This was We had Moses, we had the promises, we had the covenant, we had the priest, we had the temple, we had David. This whole whole thing leading up and culminating in Christ was through us. And they didn't want to give way to that. They wanted a recognition of that. They didn't want to get lost or have that be forgotten because that was important. They not only lived for those distinctions, they died for those distinctions. And how do you just say they don't matter anymore and everybody counts? But then the other major division that shows up is in chapter 14, just before here, between those Paul refers to as strong and weak believers. And it centered around, the division centered around some debates over particular theological issues. And, and I don't know if this is the, the total list or if this just a sampling of of what Paul of what's going on there, but Paul points out a couple. One is this question of are there certain foods we should avoid or are we free to eat whatever we want? And the other was are there certain days that we should consider special or holy or are we free to do whatever we want? Those aren't insignificant issues. Um, they're important to talk about these things, especially especially as more people come in from a pagan background because food and days have meaning in different places. How much do we bring in? How much do we leave behind? It's hard to answer because on the one hand, there is that principle of Christian freedom, right? We are free in many ways, in many profound ways. And yet on the other hand, there's also the principle of conscience. And even if I am free, even if I understand that freedom, I I just can't. I know, I know, I mean, inevitably i just i'm going to ask for broad permission to bring in examples that might be controversial not for the purpose of being controversial but i just i can't think of any right now that are non-controversial let's just say i think i'm safe here i think i'm relatively safe here so i'm not trying to be offensive let's just say alcohol i'm sure you are aware of i know you're presbyterian so of course we have alcohol but as you are aware that is a big issue within the church at large should we drink alcohol or not And for many of us, we would say, we have that freedom now. We are free to do that. But there are there are many Christians who both acknowledge that freedom and at the same time say, But I can't. Whether it's their own past of maybe abuse, whether they come from a family that has been racked by alcoholism of one kind or another, many different reasons. And even though they can acknowledge that freedom, they just can't. So what do we do? It's hard to make a blanket provision. And that didn't seem to be where it stopped. Because the problem in the Roman church was not that they had debates, but that these debates had turned into divisions. Why do we have wine on the table? Don't you know there are people here with problems? Or why don't we have wine on the table? Don't you know that we're free? And, and out of these distinctions came, came divisions. What, what Paul refers to, again again, he doesn't call them mutual passings of judgment, but he refers to this constant passing of judgment that, that doesn't doesn't simply mean, well, this is what I think about it, and that's what I think about it. But there's something more to it. There's a, a distancing, a separation. In fact, at one point in verse 3, Paul refers to them despising one another. Now, let's pause there for a moment, because I think this is an important thing that Paul is saying, and I think it slides under the radar, because I Hopefully, this is already starting to raise questions in your mind of, does this apply anywhere for us or for me? And when we hear a word like despise, it's easy to push away and say, I don't despise anybody. I know what that looks like, but is that true? Despite can take many forms. Spite can range from simply looking down at someone. That's, it's such a, I mean, I don't think we think about that, that figure of speech, but there's something really important being, say, being said there. I don't think of you as equal. I think less of you and all the actions and feelings and intentions that go along with that, that difference and dynamic between the two. Or I, I don't hate them, but I don't want anything to do with them. As though there's a difference. Contempt is a very broad term that really pushes back against the biblical principles of love and peace and reconciliation and relationship. It's a place where I think we're shaped more by the world and its values than we realize. Is it possible that we, wonderful people that we are, sincere Christians that we are, can hold things in such a way that we look at those who don't hold them with contempt? So I asked for permission earlier. I, didn't, I don't know if I got it, but can I? So should you wear a mask or not? What if I said yes? Should we get vaccinated or not? What if I said no? Who are you voting for next year for president? Oh, it's a shame that our governor is not going to be running for another term, isn't it? Right? What do you think of Doug Wilson? Do you like his books? Take, take the no, please to raise that one. <laughs> but you, do you see what I mean? Like there's, there's these, there's these names and there's these things that we can put out there that you can hear. I mean, the tension's palpable, right? We're, we're safe here. I, I'm assuming. Um, we'll find out afterwards. <laughs> but. But there's something about those things that we not only have opinions about, but we're already thinking, okay, what did they just, how did they just respond? What's their answer? What is that? Where does that come from? There's a, there's a I think there's a couple of things. I think, one, there's a desire to be on the right side of things. That's, that's not bad. I think we all, I think we all want to live correctly. We all want to have right ideas, right? But there's something else that makes that a little bit more desperate, a little bit more intense, isn't it? There's a fear of being wrong. There's a fear of being on the wrong side of things. I think some of that comes from just, we certainly see this in in our culture at large. There's, There's this great cloud of witnesses that is very quick to either support the right decision or to come down on us if we make the wrong answer. But that also exists in the church, doesn't it? It also exists among Christians. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of being found out. We're afraid of being recognized as out of step. But there's also, there's also this tendency, I think, in us towards... I, I, I don't like these words, but I, I don't know what a better word is. Clickishness or even stommishness, because it feels good to have the right answer. Our men's group is having a study with Tim Keller in it. There, there are contexts where that can feel good to say that. Who are you listening to? Rob Bell? Oh. Oh, interesting. What is that? Why, why do we care? Why does that matter so much? Why do we divide that way? I think part of it is because we, there is this sort of natural tendency to be part of an in-group and not the out-group. But that's that's worldly. That's harmful, isn't it? It creates distrust. It creates fear. It creates suspicion where there's no need for it most of the time. We do that with with people we listen to, books we read, education, social economic background, tastes. Let's talk about music choices, things that we enjoy. I am not a music listener, not, not very much, so I will quickly be put on the outside of things, except I've got some jazz names I could throw out. But, um, there's so many different ways in which we order around, and there's this just constant impulse. I mean, have you noticed this? This constant impulse to categorize things. Who are they? Who am I? What is this? Where do we belong? I think it's interesting where we start out this service talking about God as our foundation. That I wonder if some of this is just not that, that residual coming out of a life in which there was no foundation. And so we, like everyone else, is desperately trying to build something in order to locate ourselves, locate our value, our meaning, our purpose, our identity like everyone else. And we're still struggling to come to grips with the fact that God has us. That that's who we are. That's where our worth is found. That's where our meaning, purpose, and all those things that everyone is looking for is found. And not in anything else. Maybe we haven't come to grips with that yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Well, Paul has some strong words for this. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. Who do you think you are to divide over this? Who do you think you are to behave this way? In fact, what's interesting is that Paul shows no interest in the debate. He does not weigh in on days, he does not weigh in on food, he doesn't weigh in on anything. He is focusing on their behavior. In reading through chapter 14, you can see, consider the possible outcomes of what you're doing here. You're tearing the church apart by this. Your preferences, your conscience, your convictions are wrecking the church. Moreover, you are distracting the church from its calling. Some of you have been in church fights or disruptive churches. The sense of mission is gone. I'm dealing with one right now as part of a TSG. Their eye is completely off the ball because we've got this thing that we've got to settle among Christians. We can't work it out. Or you're on a path that could potentially damage if not destroy the faith of others. And, and let alone Paul doesn't ask this, but I think this is everywhere soon. And what do you think this will do to the reputation of the church? of Jesus, of the Christian faith. All those things can get lost in the heat of a fight like this, of a discord like this. Let's go back to what Paul's saying here. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Think what he's saying. These people are not subject to you, but to God. Verse 15 of chapter 14. Jesus has died for them. God has welcomed them. Verse 3. And God is one which will judge them. In fact, we will all stand before God. So we can apply that not just to them, but to all of us. Jesus has died for all of us. God has welcomed all of us. God will judge all of us. So who are you to set the conditions of their acceptance? Who are you to treat them as if they don't belong? And then goes further, Paul does, to verse 22. I want you to look at this so you can see that it's not me saying this, but him. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Keep your convictions to yourself. Keep your opinions to yourself. In fact, he starts that way too. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now that raises huge questions for me. I don't know if it does for you. Does that mean we stop contending for the faith? that we just kind of drop everything that can bring up a possible conflict. We don't, we don't study the Word and understand what it says. We don't wrestle with stuff. We don't have debates. We just get along. Put all the theology, theological books away. Put all the debates away. Just us and the Bible and someone to hold our hands so that we don't upset anyone. Do We stop standing against false teaching and bad theology. Do we just, just as a blanket approach, mind our own business and everything? That's a weird sort of harmony, Paul. I don't, I don't think he means any of those things. Let's, let's look at what, what Paul says here in chapter 15, see if he answers this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Who is the strong here? it, seems, it might seem easy right away. It's one who had a particular position in, in chapter 14, but think about this. In, in the context of the passage these the stronger the people who believe that they're the ones in the right. Well which of these believe that they're right? They all do. And, and just, just as a matter of human, observation, who would willingly accept the title of weak as Paul is describing it here? (laughs) Not me, because I'm right. It's those other guys. And so maybe this is Paul's way of taking these terms. Maybe, Maybe they're the ones that are using it, and he's repurposing these things and saying, I'm talking to all of you, actually. We who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. At the same time, though, we see in Paul's writings, not here, but in other places, that there are, there are those among, among us, among the church, who are struggling. 1 First, First Thessalonians 5, 13, and 14. Paul identifies three people. It's such a... For me, this is, this is a real revelation. I, I confess, I probably thought in terms of Strong and weak myself. And Paul writes this, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Where I was tuned to admonish the idle as though that was all of them. But there are some who are faint hearted. There are some who struggle with faith. There are some who struggle with assurance. And they don't need admonishment, they need encouragement. There's some who are just weak for however you want to fill that in and what they need is help. And all of them need patience. That was not my direction. We who are strong have an obligation to help the weak, to bear with their failings. To bear with their failings and to not please ourselves. To please our neighbor for his own good. To build him up. Our obligation is not simply to put up with people. But to understand what it means to be the church. Paul writes in Romans 12, 5, we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually are members one of another. More important than our convictions is the reality that we are one. That's the starting point, not the doctrinal agreement not the school choice agreement, not the political agreement. We are one. Why? Because God has made us one. Right? I think Paul said that enough to, to be established. And therefore, we need each other. We, we can only function as we were meant as we were meant to once we learned to work together, which means that we need to know people and to understand people. Part of the problem that we're seeing in the, Roman, in the Roman church was that they were, not only were they dividing, they didn't really even understand each other or didn't even bother. Does that happen today? Oh, my, yes. Pick any group. Pick any representative of any group who, who's, who feels free to go on a tirade about the other, and ask them, have you ever actually met one of them? These people that you're against, do you actually know a name? Do you know what they're like? Do you know their family? Do you know anything about them at all? We don't bother anymore. I don't think that's new. I just think we've accelerated because of what technology has allowed us to do in terms of distancing. But if if we understand what Paul is saying here, our obligation, what we owe to each other, is to know each other. To understand our union with each other in Christ, not in our agreements. That we owe something to each other to please them and not ourselves. Which, I mean, that last thought, come back to what I was asking before why do we do this? I, I mean, we may not, I think we've got a picture in our mind of what living to please myself looks like, and it's gross. But there's subtler ways in which we do that. The desire to be safe is a way in which we could act to please ourselves. Desire to be liked. To be around people who are like me, to be around people who agree with me. Comfort, community, all those things can be suited to my needs. I mean, we hear a lot, don't we, about consumerism within the church. That's that's a church that's consumed with a desire to please itself. Here we are. Give us what we want. That's not what we're called to. That's not our obligation. That's not what kind of people we're meant to be. That's not what the church is meant to look like. And it's not the way that the church will function. And having said all this, we, the, the last thing I want to say on this point is that we can only do this as we not only learn to understand each other, but to really love each other, to love the people we disagree with. And I, I want to stretch the boundaries of this a little bit because it does raise the question in my mind, are, are denominations a consequence of our failure to do this or a good thing? And I love the Presbyterian Church. I love denominations for so many things, but they can be rigid distinctions, can't they? We can be so thankful that we are Presbyterians and not so-and-so down the street, can't we? That might even be why we're here. And I, I, don't, I don't want to discourage that entirely. It is good that you're here, and I, I really believe in the hand of providence and God gathering churches together as he does. But, but has the reality of denominationalism excused us from loving each other? Because the Pentecostals are saved by Christ, aren't they? I'll talk to you about that answer afterwards. Lutherans, non denominational, Baptists, come on. Catholics? Interesting. We, we, We don't even bother to know. We just go by the label, we go by the title, we stand at a distance, but we have an obligation. We have an obligation to each other not to live for ourselves but to please others, to build them up. What is the direction that we are moving in as individual Christians? What is the direction we're moving in as a church? Are we moving away from people and building walls to protect us? Are we going out to build up the body of Christ? Look to Jesus because this is where the obligation comes from. It comes to us through what He did. Without Him, there is no us. So what did He do? He showed us how to live this way. He bore with our failings, didn't He? That's what we're confessing, right, when we confess? That's what we're confessing when we come to the table, right? Isn't that... Almost on a loop in our heads. Do I deserve to come here? Do I belong? Is this for me? Because we are aware of our failings and we struggle to believe that God is willing to bear with them. But He does. As Father has compassion on His child, so God has compassion on those who fear Him because He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's our hope. Jesus bore with our failings. He bears with our failings. He will continue to bear with our failings. He endured hardships on our behalf. The reproaches that were meant for you fell on me. The insults, the garbage, the nonsense, the stuff that he did not deserve, that we deserved, fell on him. And what did he do with it? He took it. He endured it. He did not fight back. And he continues to be compassionate and patient and kind and encouraging towards us. Jesus takes the long view with us. Not where we are or where we were, but where he's taking us. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? We, we treat people like they're Polaroid pictures. Where do you stand right now? That's how I'm going to treat you for the rest of your life. Because we know, right? People never change. Nonsense. If that's true, then there is no hope. There is no reality to the gospel. That's a farce if that's true. But that's not what we believe, right? That's not what you believe. That's not why you're here, right? If there is no hope of change, if there's no hope of distancing yourself from whatever past you come from, if there's no hope of salvation, then why are we here? because we believe differently, and yet we struggle to see others that way. This is how Jesus has treated us and is now our obligation to act this way towards others. And then Paul concludes with an encouragement. Let me read this again. May the God of endurance, actually I'm going to stop back further, for whatever is written in former days is written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of Christ. Our God is the God of endurance and encouragement. Do we ever think of him that way? We thought of the endurance of God with us. It's a part of his steadfastness. It's a part of his unchangeable nature. It's a part of how he deals with us. He does not change. He does not waver. He is constant. He is faithful. That's not just meant to be a gift to be received, but, but, but a grace To be shared. Now, I am an impatient man, and I'm certain I'm speaking to a room of impatient people. Endurance is not our hallmark. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to the church. How do you learn endurance? Anybody, any runners here? Oh boy, tough crowd. John used to run track, right? Okay, fine. Well, fine. We'll use you. Keep all I've got. <laughs> I mean, you don't. You don't start off by being good at a race. How do you learn endurance by running? I mean, one of the one of the. Most, I think one of the things I'm, I'm starting to see more and more is that some of the most basic we're missing some of the most basic things of the Christian life. Which means, if you want to to cultivate a character, you have to do that thing. If you want to be patient, where do you need to be? in those places that make you impatient and choose differently seek the lord for help cry out but stand in right if you want to learn if you want to cultivate faith where do you need to be at home reading all the books you can about faith or going out to those places where your faith is tested where you reach those points where you're like i have no idea what i'm doing here like sharing the gospel Think about this. Think about all the different ways in which we excuse ourselves from sharing the gospel. I don't know what to say. I might mess it up. I'm afraid of what they might think of me. That is a great place to have your faith tested. That's a great place to go and say, I have no idea what I'm doing, God. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I have no control over the situation. Will you please help me? And then open your mouth. What if he answers? What might that do to faith? strengthen it. Will you be scared? Of course, but you'll learn and you'll grow. How how do we act this way towards each other? How do we cultivate harmony? By doing it, by reaching out, not waiting for a bolt from the blue to change our hearts, but to do it. We've got all we need here. Our God is the God of endurance and encouragement, His example supplies us with grace, the grace we need to exhibit the same qualities towards others. It meets us where we need it the most, right? I don't know if I can put up with these people. Look to God. I don't know what to say. Look to God. What do you need? The store is open. And then then finally he concludes with this. Read this again. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to where we started, thinking about harmony again. If you've ever been a part of a choir or a team or baked something that was good, as good as the experience might be for those hearing it or tasting it, it's better for those who are a part of it. is an invitation to the church to be a part of something special. To set aside our, our silly worldly ways and really love each other and understand each other and build each other up and help make this become a place of a, become something like a choir that knows how to sing. A choir that understands that there are different parts there are different levels that not everyone is a soloist, which is why we should have older songs. I love the songs that you guys sing here because you learn to actually harmonize. It's such a great picture of the church to sing like that. But we learn how to do that. We don't all have to be great singers. We don't all have to be the loudest. We don't all have to all have the best parts, but together we're part of something amazing that glorifies God, that God delights in, that the world takes notice of. Because all the rest out there, I don't know if you would notice, it's just noise. Let me pray. Lord, help us, help us to search our hearts. I, I don't know where this lands for, for any of us. I'm not even sure of myself. But Lord, I, I pray that you continue to, to transform us particularly in the way that we view our fellow brothers and sisters in this church, among the church at large, Lord, that you would help us to see and to claim this obligation that you have laid on us to not live for ourselves, but to bear with those who are weak, to bear with those who are not like us, to bear with their failings, to have patience, to have compassion, to have understanding, to have kindness, to be a person of encouragement to each other, that we can build each other up, Lord. We can turn away from the worldliness that seeks to destroy everything that you have made. Instead, be a place in which we live in real harmony, concord of sounds, single mindedness, one voice glorifying you. Lord, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.